Today, answers matter more than ever before. That's why IBM is helping businesses manage customer questions with Watson Assistant. It's conversational AI designed to work for any industry. Let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash Watson Assistant. We got lots to cover and not enough time, so let's not waste any. There's your six at six, and later we'll tell you how Kyrie Irving will win the scoring title, why IT has bad blood with his old boss, and when Max Extension man Andrew Wiggins will take his game and the T-Wolves to the next level. But first, there's no next game for the Yankees and Indians. The Windians need to win one tonight to avoid becoming the first team in MLB postseason history to blow a two-game series leading consecutive postseasons. Tonight's decisive game five will be the fourth winner-take-all game in postseason history between former Cy Young winners Corey Kluber, far from Cy Young form in his last two postseason starts, allowing 10 earned in a combined six and two-thirds in game seven of last year's World Series and game two of this ALDF. Buster, what it is right now, joining me from Cleveland, which Corey Kluber will we see tonight? He of the 1-8-0 ERA and seven career regular season starts against the Yankees or Kluber with the 13-5-0 ERA in his last two postseason starts? Yeah, Michael, I think the not only the Indians, but the Yankees also expect that you're going to see the dominant Corey Kluber tonight. Joe Girardi looked at us a little while ago and said, when's the last time Corey Kluber had back-to-back poor starts? So the Indians feel like that in that first start he made against the Yankees, his mechanics were off a little bit. That meant that his stuff was flattened out. And in this start, he'll be working on regular rest, which is something that Corey Kluber prefers. They feel confident that he'll have a bounce back. And by the way, feels like great conditions to pitch in. It's about 60 degrees here. Wind's blowing in off the lake. If you're a pitcher, ball hit in the air probably is going to be knocked down by the wind. So it's good for both Kluber and CC Sabathia. Edwin Encarnacion back in the lineup, DHing, batting cleanup. 273, though, with four RBIs and 55 at-bats against Sabathia. What kind of lift does he give Cleveland, though? Michael, it feels like we talk so much about Joe Girardi and the movie made in Game 2 in this series. We haven't talked enough about the impact of Encarnacion's injury. Sprains that ankle in Game 2. He's out of the lineup in Games 3 and 4, and he's back in the lineup for tonight's game. Terry Francona told us a little while ago that in taking batting practice yesterday, it looks like he's comfortable at the plate. He's able to put weight on that back right leg, and let's face it, he's not going to run fast, but that's not part of his game anyway. Wouldn't surprise me if he hit a ground ball the shortstop. He'd just turn around and go right back to the dugout. But his presence alone, along with his power, should help this Indians lineup. Yeah, the other quote-unquote mistake by Joe Girardi in Game 2 was pulling CC after 77 pitches and turning it, turning it over to his pin. How will Girardi handle his bullpen tonight, though? Well, he will manage it aggressively, and Girardi and the Yankees are set up very well because David Robertson is properly rested. Chad Green, properly rested. Chad, uh, uh, Tommy Canely, properly rested. Aroldis Chapman could go as many as two innings tonight. So I do think that the first sign of trouble for CC in this game, you will see Girardi uh, reach out to that bullpen very quickly. All right, stand by, Buster. Just a couple of days ago when Girardi seemed done in New York, well, the Red Sox announced earlier today that John Farrell will not return as manager, declining to pick up their team option. Farrell guided the Red Sox to a World Series title in 2013, his first season, and consecutive division titles for the first time in team history, but also back-to-back ALDS defeats. The Sox president, Dave Dombrowski, agreed that the team needs a new voice in the clubhouse and a fresh public face. So, Buster, what names are you hearing as far as replacements for the Red Sox? 
two names to watch. Alex Cora, who, of course, worked with us at ESPN. He's now the bench coach for the Houston Astros. Really smart guy. Uh, someone who is right in the center of the analytics that the Astros do. It's the type of talent that they, the Red Sox will be looking for. And he has the history of having played in Boston. And then there's Brad Osmus, who was hired by Dave Dombrowski to be, to be the manager of the Detroit Tigers. Uh, Dombrowski, of course, now heads up baseball operations for the Red Sox. We'll see if he'll bring Brad over to Boston. But I think they'll talk, at least talk to those two guys, Michael. All right, thank you, Buster. Speaking of playing in Boston, two-time World Series champion David Ross spent two years with the organization under John Farrell, won a 2013 title team, and, of course, you caught the final out. You interested in the gig or what? Yeah, no, I, I mean, we love you here. Well, yeah, but. yeah, yeah. I can barely manage my own life. I, <laughs> I think, uh, I think I'm, I'm liking this gig, and, and I, I'm enjoying my family time at home right now. So, uh, but was yeah. that the first person to ask you that today? Uh, no, you're not. You're not <laughs> my phone was blowing up today. I'm like, hey, I think I'm good. I think I'm good, people. All right, what do you know about the, what went on in the front office and in the clubhouse that led to this decision? Well, I, you know, playing for John, I got a lot of respect for John. What he did there, winning and winning back-to-back titles with that division, uh, in Boston is a big deal, but seeing the move today, it just tells me there's either a lack of communication, there's probably a lack of uh, a voice in the clubhouse uh, when you hear these kind of things that go on. And, and, and to be honest with you, even a, uh, a Hall of Fame type manager like Terry Francona, the, the time runs out there. It, mm-hmm. it, it, you get burnt out. I think it runs its course. And so I think that's, there's a lot of things in the mix here just besides maybe John Farrell is a bad manager or whatever the reasons are. I think there's probably a, a bigger picture. Yeah, I teased you about being interested. A lot of Sox fans are interested in Jason Veritek finally uh, getting this gig. But of the 22 World Series in the wild card era, David, only three have been won by a manager who was with his first club, none since Isaac Gein in 05. Now, said Dombrowski says that he wants someone with managerial experience or somebody who has been on the bench during a game. But he says that's not a 100% necessity. I say all that to ask you this. Does that tell you that a team needs a new skipper with experience, especially with the, when they have designs on contending? Absolutely not. I think uh, a lot of times the managerial changes come from a bad team in, in, in past history. Now things are changing a little bit with maybe one decision you make, you can get fired. But for me, the players win the game. The manager helps, but the players ultimately perform on the field is what gets a championship done. Being a part of two teams, the manager will help in certain situations, but you know, there, there's guys that are either bench coaches that never manage, or guys that are coming, like you said, fresh out of, out of retirement, or uh, fresh out of you know, maybe the front office, can have a voice in there and get guys on the same page. Okay, well, I appreciate the knowledge here, and glad you're staying with us. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not leaving you, Mike. <laughs> well, let me read it somewhere else and change your mind. <laughs> Alright, LeBron James, 17 points, 3 assists, 8 turnovers, 1 injured left ankle aggravation in his preseason debut last night against the Bulls, so he will not practice for the rest of the week and is out for Friday's preseason finale against the Magic. Ty Lue said he didn't know whether James will miss next Tuesday's regular season opener against the Celtics. Yeah, right. Although he added it's too early to make a determination. James, of course, missed nearly two weeks of training camp after spraining his left ankle on the second day of practice. Lou said that James was, quote, pretty mad, pretty pissed off about the latest setback. He ain't missing Kyrie Irving coming back to Cleveland. So moving right along, more bad news coming out of Cleveland with Game 5 on tap. Add one more name to the never-ending list of Browns starting quarterbacks. Deshaun Kaiser is out for now, and Kevin Hogan is in at QB1 for Sunday's game against Deshaun Watson and the Texans. Actually, Hogan is QB28 in Cleveland since 99, and the team's 19th starter since 08. I'm excited. Um, I mean, it's, it's another opportunity to go out there and play some ball, which I love. Uh, play a lot of games in college, um, and... When I was out there the other day, it felt like I was in college again. You want to do whatever you can to, to be out there playing. 
I, I don't play this game to, to sit on the bench. Um, so now it's about accepting this as a challenge and doing whatever I can to get back out there and once again be the best quarterback, the best version of myself that I can be when I do get back out there. So this, is, this was supposed to be Deshaun week in Cleveland, right? Instead, they're asking, well, they would have been doing this anyway, they're asking Hugh Jackson whether there was any consideration about taking Deshaun Watson at 12 as opposed to trading down with the Texans. And Jackson said to talk about what could have been doesn't help. All right. Also said Deshaun Kaiser's on our team. Deshaun Watson's on their team. We can't all of a sudden flip them. Yeah, but see, that's the problem. You keep flipping picks. You know how everybody's got that jersey or we've seen that infamous jersey. There it is. With all the quarterbacks that have played in Cleveland, what they should do is make a jersey of all the quarterbacks that could or should have played in Cleveland. All the people they've passed on. I'm talking about Watson I just mentioned, Carson Wentz last year, could have had Derek Carr, took Manziel instead. Same draft, could have had Teddy Bridgewater. Aaron Rodgers, or everybody passed on him. Big Ben in 04, and he owns them. All the way back to McNabb, who they... Instead of taking him, they took Tim Couch. Coulda, woulda, shoulda, whatever. They wish they had Pittsburgh's problem. Speaking of Big Ben, he's gone from throwing a pair of pick sixes against the Jags to throwing it out there that he may not have it anymore to throwing shots at his critics and picking fights with the media. We got edgy Big Ben today going into Sunday's clash with the Chiefs. You said you woke up this week confident. What brought you to that point? To be confident? Um, Two Super Bowls, 100 and some wins, 300 and some, I don't even know my stats, but doing this, um, playing this game longer than you've probably been covering it. No offense to any of you guys, but it doesn't really matter to me what you guys, how you guys question me or not, or the quote-unquote professional talking heads on the other sports networks that are out there that are supposed experts and things like that. Some players use that outside talking as motivation. What, what do you do with it? Ignore it, especially your network. No offense to you, though, Jeremy. <laughs> no <laughs> He's talking about you, Mike. I'm no, expert. About. I'm no expert. <laughs> I am a talking head. I brought in the expert, Darren Woodson. Uh, I like Angry Ben. I'm yeah. sure the Steelers like Angry yes. Edgy Ben, right? Yeah, I, of course. I, I mean, listen, Ben has earned the right. Two, uh, he's won two Super Bowl championships. You know, he's earned the right to vent at times. You would like to see him vent more in-house and keep, keep the message that's going out between him, Mike Tomlin, whatever that message they put together, that message goes out. But you would just like to see Ben be the leader that he's supposed to be. And, and with the talent that he has, and, and this is still my pick to win the Super Bowl. The Steelers are still my pick. With the talent that they have on that offense, Le'Veon Bell, Antonio Brown, Artavis Bryant, I think they still have the, the opportunity to get there. Defense is playing pretty good. Ben needs to play, be the leader and needs to play well on Sundays to win football. I know you weren't talking about me. Ben doesn't watch the six. He's he got, talking he, about you, right? He, he, he talked about dude he got blocked on Twitter like every other member of the media, but that's neither here nor there. And look, I, I, since I'm not an expert, I didn't watch the film at uh-huh. all 22s, but when I saw the game and looked back at, at the picks, they didn't look like a guy that was lost or no, his heart wasn't in it. Absolutely it looked like not. a guy that was getting hit while he threw yep. and, a, and against a good defense that made real good plays on the ball. What did you see when you Listen, saw the picks? they needed to do a better job of protecting Ben, first of all, the offensive. And this is supposed to be a strong offensive line. Much like the Dallas Cowboys, we talked about about this offensive line coming into the season as being their strong point. Well, they haven't played extremely well. Ben's been getting hit a lot. Had some tip balls that were unfortunate that, that, that got bounced around. And let's give it the Jacksonville Jaguars some credit. They played extremely well good in that defense. secondary. And I think this team, that Jaguars secondary, is probably just as good as the Legion of Boom is right now. I just think they, they have a lot of talent. 
Ben will pick it back up this week. I think they have a better week this week offensively, and they'll put some numbers it up. It will be so Pittsburgh to yep. go out and hand the Chiefs their first loss. Absolutely. Speaking of a protection or lack thereof, Tom Brady officially didn't practice today, though he was in uniform and warmed up with teammates. Brady told the media that he's not worried about his left shoulder injury and will be on the field Sunday against the Jets. Gronk also didn't practice today, but there's optimism he can return after missing last Thursday's game. You're not concerned, are you? Not at all. Listen, he's been hit a lot this year, 16 sacks, six times, 16 times, but at the same time, he'll be all right. Jeff Van Gundy joins me from Charlotte. Jeff, we know Kyrie can score. He looked ready to win the scoring title the other night in Philly with 21 and 25 minutes. But in Brad Stevens' system, with this supporting cast, how much of a leap do you expect from Kyrie Irving this season in terms of his all-around game? Well, I think he's been more than just a scorer before he came to Boston. I thought in Cleveland his game developed over time. I thought he defended better. Uh, I think, obviously, his greatest strength is scoring, but he's a very adept playmaker. And so I think I'm not sure he's going to put up, you know, 26, 27, or like Isaiah Thomas did last year in the high 20s because he has better teammates like Gordon Hayward to share the ball and share the burden with of scoring the ball so he might play better and score less than he did last year yeah do a lot of things well that only the Jeff Van Gunnies of the world really see and appreciate so Isaiah Thomas you mentioned him he told SI that he may not ever talk to Danny Ainge again given that he traded him after all he gave the Celtics he also said maybe he shouldn't have tried to play in the playoffs through the hip injury and he said the trade still doesn't make any sense. I'm still asking what the hell happened. It's a trade you make in NBA 2K. It's not a trade you make in real life. And here's Ainge's response. You know, that's the hard part of the job. I mean, it's that's the, you know, I know that there's a lot of feelings that go on when, when these type of things happen. I was a player that was traded twice. So I understand um, his sentiments. But, you know, you guys know how much I love Isaiah. He's a great kid. And, and wish him the best. Have you got a chance to talk to him besides beyond that first day? No. Is that something where you'll try to mend things later on once some time has passed? Or? Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I would, tr- I would try to, but I, I have no idea. You know, that takes two people. And obviously he said some things today that very has some very strong feelings and strong emotions, and, and I understand those. Jeff, the reason IT is saying that the Celtics will come to regret this trade is because you can't tell Isaiah Thomas that he's not the best player in this trade. That's his level of belief in his, himself. And it can be a brutal business, as you know, but do you understand IT's beef? Well, I think if he had a different mentality at five foot nine, he wouldn't have been in the league, exactly. let alone be as great as he is. So I understand that, but I also know Isaiah Thomas is a very smart guy, and He knows he's going to be out for some time, and Kyrie Irving has an extra year on his contract. So I think he does understand it. I just don't think he agrees with it. I think he wanted to remain in Boston. He wanted his big payday to be in Boston. So I think I love his attitude, but I know he understands why the trade was made. And if you're Danny Ainge, you have nothing to apologize for. You can't fall in love with your players to the point where you don't do what's best for your team. All right, and I think that's where Isaiah Thomas is coming from. He's saying the team did what was best for it in trading me. Maybe I should have done what was best for me and protected my health given I want a max contract instead of laying it all on the line in the playoffs. Now, LeBron, he didn't look great and doesn't feel great either after last night's game against the Bulls, Jeff, re-aggravated that left ankle injury. Meanwhile, new starting center Kevin Love, he went one for 12. Now, Jeff, in case you missed it, here's how Love 
found out that he was going to the five. Kind of a funny thing happened the third day of practice. Uh, I had asked about a, a certain play on, on, the, on the defensive end and whether it was uh, the different coverages on the four or the five man. And Bron kind of stopped me. He goes, you know, you, you know you're going to be starting at the five, right? So I kind of looked at them and uh, didn't really fully understand that that was going to be the case. Not that I would have trained or, or done anything differently. I just would have started to wrap my head around it more. So that's when I kind of knew that... Um, you know, that was coming into play, and, and um, you know, I slowly and, and surely started to pick it up. So, Jeff, still a work in progress for Love at the five, but I want to ask you about Tristan Thompson and J.R. Smith coming off the bench because J.R. says that he's absolutely frustrated about it, but he does like playing with the second team uh, because it allows him to be, you know, a little bit more of a playmaker. But all that said, is this a, a, a potentially a source of conflict, or is this what you want to hear from a competitor? It'll all be dependent on how, the, how much they win and how well it works and how much success each guy has. Listen, Dwayne Wade is a all-time great two-guard. And then J.R. Smith, for all of what everyone wants to concentrate about with him, he did a great thing for Cleveland. He plays exceptionally hard defensively, and he gives them that floor spacing that James and Irving needed. So... Absolutely, with all their team success, that he's now has to be the one to come off the bench, I think is an interesting uh, decision that they had to work through. And then uh, with Tristan Thompson, I'm still a little puzzled that they decided to bring him off the bench, but I think they also know his personality. He's such a giving personality that he wasn't going to make a fuss. It'll be interesting to see. They're going to be a dynamic offensive team in the front court with their shooting and skill. Defensively, to start games, I'm very interested to see how they're able to guard the basket. All right, let's go six degrees of separation here, Jeff. Andrew Wiggins agreed to his five-year, $146.5 million extension. He's got his money, but Jeff, what does Wiggins need to do to help Carl Anthony Towns and Jimmy Butler get this team to the playoffs? Well, it's really Carl Anthony Towns and Wiggins together have to commit the defense. They're extremely talented athletes and exceptional offensive talents that can score and they put up huge numbers, but have yet to drive success when it comes to winning. I think the Timberwolves had a terrific offseason, added Butler, Jeff Teague, I think are huge upgrades, and I think they're going to make the playoffs. But to be players of significance in this league, you have to be a two-way player. You have to be willing uh, and able to guard and guard on a consistent basis. Wiggins and Towns have yet to shown that dedication and commitment to defense. If they do, they're going to be great players, and Minnesota will morph into a great team. Yeah, Wiggins especially was supposed to be a premier perimeter defender coming out of Kansas. we got a lot more coming from you, Jeff Van Gundy. We'll see you at 7 for Celtics Hornets. Appreciate it. Uh, the NCAA announced the formation of a commission on college basketball today in the wake of the FBI investigation that led to Rick Pitino's firing and charges filed against four assistant coaches and six others. Former Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice will chair the group, which also includes Grant Hill, David Robinson, and several former coaches and administrators. NCAA President Mark Emmert, who is also on the commission, said we need to do right by student-athletes. I believe we can and we must find a way to protect the integrity of college sports by addressing both sides of the coin. Fairness and opportunity for college athletes, coupled with the enforcement capability to hold accountable those who undermine the standards 
of our community. My two cents, I don't know if you are the problem that you can actually solve the problem. Turn the TV on, it's like breaking news. I'm just like, you know, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. You know, he answered prayers. You know, I was up to like 3 o'clock last night, you know, um, just going over the, the plays and, you know, the language and trying to come to grips with, with everything, you know. But um, I would expect they, that they're expecting a lot, you know, from me. And um, that's okay. I, I look to play at least four to five more years. I have, I have a lot left in the tank, you know. So, you know, uh, stay tuned, stay tuned, and you, you guys will be able to see that Won't he do it? Uh, living in Fitz's guest house, by the way. Remember when the Giants were a good fit for Peterson? Remember when the Giants were going to go back to the playoffs? Yeah, me neither. So Dominique Rogers Cromartie going home for a bit, suspended by Ben McAdoo after leaving this facility today, also left it on Friday. DRC told Josina Anderson that he's coming back tomorrow. Sounds like the suspension is indefinite. Some additional information here for the Dominique Rogers Cromartie newser. Um, <laughs> According to a source close to the situation, uh, it began last Friday when he walked out of the team's recovery day uh, session. Darren Woodson uh, back with me. So Ben McAdoo also said that he doesn't feel like he's lost the team. Look like it to you. They lost all their games. Like Look, you lost the team too. They're 0-5, and when 0-5 happens to you, man, I've been in that situation where you, you're losing games and things aren't right, and, right. and then all of a sudden you got to figure out, you know, how to get motivated. And, and, and you look at the Giants. This is a team that I predicted to win the NFC East. This is a team, that, this is a team that, that had the talent, that was talent-laden. And if you started the season off, you said, well, I got Brandon Marshall, Odell Beckham, and, 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 and Sterling in the, in the slot. I mean, hey, that's a formidable pair, of, you know, group of wide receivers. So with a great defense, so I figured this team would be in the running right now. When it rains, it pours, though. As, absolutely. Now, the Jags, they don't have these kinds of problems, okay? In fact... Leonard Fournette is a problem. Oh, They do have a QB problem, though. And my man Daniel Jeremiah of NFL Network, he has a solution. He floated this two days ago, that if you're Tom Coughlin and David Caldwell, would you make a call to the Giants to ask what it would cost to acquire Eli Manning? Darren, this makes way too much sense to me. Oh, it makes a lot of sense for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Not for the Giants. Well, it does. I mean, One day he's not going to be your quarterback. Absolutely. Expedite so, so you're process basically and saying, get picks to rebuild this thing. You're basically saying they're going to get a top five pick this year. They're going to have the opportunity maybe to get a, t- a top five on their pick own. on their own. And they right? get an additional one or more if they flip so Eli, you're, who's but, not going to play forever. So you're basically you're scrapping everything. Everything's going to tear the whole, the whole thing, thing down. down. Blow it up. Defense as well? If you can. Man, that's a lot of money. But you have invested a lot of money, so maybe you don't move them. But you need to do something differently on offense, and Eli is not getting any younger. Whereas if you're the Jaguars, look at this window of opportunity oh, yeah. you have. you got a season in which Andrew Luck is hurt. J.J. Watt is out. Deshaun Watts is not going anywhere. And the Titans don't seem quite ready to take that next step, especially if Mariota continues to get hurt. You're the Jaguars. You're a quarterback away from actually making noise either this year or next year. So yeah. get Eli in that system now I get and, and give up the picks while you got this defense in that running back. And listen, it's a win-win for the Jags now. If the Jags were able to, to acquire Eli, mm-hmm. Eli Manning and understanding the struggles that they've had with Blake Bortles, of course. I mean, it makes sense for the Jags, but if you're the New York Giants, you still have to hold on to that value of what you have in Eli Manning. It's not yeah. like you just want to just get rid of what you would call right now your best player. Who's he throwing uh, to? Oh, he's not going to be throwing you don't to even any guy right, right now. Track, right. right now, right. he's not throwing to anybody, but I'm still, he's still, you're, he's still a great asset that you have. You just, this ain't a freebie. Hey, yeah. Tom Coughlin, I know you were here. Yeah. Uh, we're just going to no, go ahead and give favors. Eli. There ain't right. no favors here in this league. All right. Uh, enough about the Giants. Let's talk about some good teams. Tomorrow night, 4-1 Panthers playing host to the 4-1 Eagles. 
who may get Fletcher Cox back. I believe he's a game-time decision. For what it's worth, ESPN.com's power rankings have it Packers, Falcons, then Eagles and Panthers in the NFC. Who's the best team in the NFC right now? I still have the Falcons as the number one team because okay. of personnel and what they have. Great defense. You can run to the ball. I think the Carolina Panthers are a team you really have to start watching, especially with their front seven. They've gotten back to that, that old controlling the line of scrimmage. But the Falcons are a team. If you look at their personnel and what they have, defensively they run to the ball. They're a fast-flowing football team. Offensively they have the best weapons in all, in all football. Should have won the Super Bowl last year. Right, they we don't have know. a shot this year. If Julio Jones is healthy, for the remainder of this season, they have a shot to win it all over again. Yeah, I got the Packers, no matter who's the running back. By the way, Ty Montgomery, okay. full participant in practice today. Because it's 12, man. Okay, I, it's 12. I get 12 to play now. I get that. Are you going to take the Packers? I think it depends a lot on who gets home field advantage. Sure. Because if Atlanta gets home field advantage on that turf, right. Packers aren't beating them, especially not at home. Let me tell you right now, though. I ain't about no, no, the right, no, best team right now. Oh, God. Right now. Please, come on, I'm man. going with 12. Okay, they, right now. they, they play in a neutral Spot right now. Neutral Falcons, spot? Neutral spot. Who's the better team? Who's winning that game? I probably go with the Falcons. I'm probably go with best the Falcons. Team is Falcons. That's why right. you're the expert, Ben Roethlisberger. Should the players be ordered to stand during the anthem, what do you think would be the reaction of players around the league? I think uh, it's going to be a negative reaction. I don't think guys are going to like it. I think it's going to be an uproar if that is to happen because you're taking a – basically taking away a constitutional right to uh, freedom of speech. And if guys want to have a, I guess you would call it a peaceful protest, um, I don't think it's right to take that away from guys. All right, the NFL and the NFLPA just released a joint statement saying that Commissioner Roger Goodell has reached out to Executive Director Demora Smith, and both he and player leadership will attend the league meetings next week in New York. There has been no change in the current policy regarding the anthem. The agenda will be a continuation of how to make progress on the important social issues that players have vocalized. Everyone who is part of our NFL community has a tremendous respect for our country, our flag, our anthem, and our military. Hmm. Say it loud for the cheap seats. And we are coming together to deal with these issues in a civil and constructive way. Now... In Dallas, Cowboys owner Jerry Jones was part of a team meeting after the Cowboys practice Wednesday. The team discussed the players' frustration in the wake of Jones' recent comments about the team's policy regarding the national anthem. Jones offered the players a chance to speak with him one-on-one as well. Now, the thrust of Jones' comments were to explain that he wanted to be the bad guy in this situation to deflect attention away from the players, but he also wanted to make sure they saw the bigger picture when it comes to concerns over TV rating sponsors, etc. And in the process, he put them in a tough spot. I feel like I read that somewhere recently. So Darren Woodson's still here. Josina Anderson joined us now. Josina, what can you tell us about the Cowboys player reaction to these meetings? Because they didn't say much on the record afterward. Well, first and foremost, I feel like some of the frustration guys started to even leak from last night when I talked to a Cowboys player. And he basically was like this. I have never, ever heard this tone from Jerry Jones. Mm-hmm. And what we heard in Arizona before we went out there is not what we're hearing right now. Okay, and basically feeling like the whole kneel before the anthem thing is this and this is a quote was trash telling me in quote, I don't even know what to believe. Like how much is Jerry Jones's ears getting leverage from the outside 
from our highest office. And, and, and that is a concern. The other thing that they underlined was how much was it even necessary to bring it up? Because nobody, guys, on the Cowboys has kneeled in a couple years. Right. You, you see Dak right. just got the sponsorship that Cam Newton had. Zeke hasn't done this. Des Bryant's talking about he's got to take care of his family and his kids. So how much was it even really necessary to do that? It and wasn't. now it wasn't. It wasn't an issue. It was no, grandstanding. It was, it was. You know what they did? What? They let the president divide them. This was a peaceful protest right. until he opened his mouth. Right. I call that thing in Arizona a formation. That was basically him keeping up with the Joneses. Yeah. yeah, and I think, you know, not only that, but I think mm-hmm. it's, it's to the point where Jerry understands the business side of everything. And I'll tell you. You know firsthand. I've been there with Jerry <laughs> many times, and we've had good meeting, great meetings about business. It's about the bottom line as well. Mm-hmm. It's about the fact of, of sponsorship being there. It's about that trickle-down effect. And Jerry will probably tell his players, which he probably already has, if the bottom line is hurt, not only does it affect me, but it affects you as well. And we're talking about a young football team in Dallas. This is not as the Seattle Seahawks team, a bunch of veteran guys who have, you know, who, who are in touch with the social side of things. Yeah. This is a young group. Dak Prescott is the leader of this football team. He's in his second year. Zeke Elliott, we know what's going on with Zeke right now. He can't get up and he's not going to protest. And Dez has already said the same thing. There's not a guy on this team that's going to stand or, or take a knee and defy what's going on on that football team. I get where Jerry is coming from. Trust me, I get it when it comes about what's the bad for business, okay? But a protest is never about profit. It's about principle. And if you, to me, they're all conceding that this is disrespectful. They're conceding to that perception. They're giving into that perception, mm-hmm. that manufactured perception, which is really out to undermine the protest for the most part, as I see it. That this is disrespectful to the military, to first responders, yeah. to law enforcement, to the country, to the flag, which no matter how many times they say it's not, nah. they continue to say it is. So what I would say to the people that are insulted or find it disrespectful, I would say to you, if you want the other side, quote unquote, to see that it's offensive to you and what you think the flag stands for, what it means to you, why can't you find it in your heart and mind to see that that flag does not symbolize the same thing to everybody and that it's not intended as disrespectful to them? So with that said, our man Jim Trotter, he's got some information about what they're proposing uh, with these conversations between the league and the PA to facilitate ending this league-wide uh, protests during, you know, before and during the national anthem. Mm-hmm. One is that teams will use their clout to arrange meetings with local and state politicians, including governors, uh, a campaign for social and racial injustice, uh, similar to European football associations. There's a social advocacy leadership council they're talking about comprised of players who would have direct access to owners to address social and racial inequalities, a social act- advocacy activism boot camp at Morehouse College. The only thing I'd say to this, and by the way, I also want to point out that Eric Reed said um, that Jed York told him that none of the Niners players would be forced to kneel. Only thing I want to say when it comes to this is this, this sounds... Forced to stand, you saying? Forced to stand, excuse okay, me. Yes, thank yeah. you. I'm sorry. They wouldn't be forced to stand. So the owners are on the same page going into this. The thing that stuck out to me about what Trotter's reporting and what they're talking about doing is I just... My concern is that I talked about conceding to the perception that this is disrespectful to the military. There's also this, well, what are you doing in your community retort that's often thrown out there. Yeah. What about black-on-black crime, in other words, yeah. which is used to deflect from the real issues of racial inequality and social injustice? I just hope that this is not 
in exchange for playing ball, if you will, I hope they're not looking at the players and saying, solve your own problem. Because it's not on the oppressed. It. Yes. It's not on I the victims of racism agree. and racial injustice yep. to solve the problem. How, if, you're willing to, if you're really going to align yourself with this, if you're really going to say, we're here to help you with this fight, you're going to make enemies. I still think that even with those set of uh, things that they are potentially going to be talking about at this meeting, there's a couple of things that it doesn't address. Okay. Number one, we have to go back to the tone. Mm-hmm. The tone. The tone of you all need to, to stand. You all could be punished for it. Oh, and, and, and where and where well, even superseding that, where does that start from? Because first and foremost, we talked about this on NFL Live. They are men. Yes. You have to deal with that aspect first because there's a sting with that that's not going away. You know that. You know that. Right. right? So you have to deal with that. The second part of this is that this is dealing with stuff off of the field. It's still not dealing with their, their right to do this as men and as players if they want to. Now, obviously, there are workplace rules, mm-hmm. but they still have the choice to go against that and yet suffer the consequence from that if Absolutely. they if they want to. Yep, correct. That yep. that is a whole different thing that you still have to deal with on the individual level before you get to even all of that. Right. I think that what you just said, deal with the consequences, because there could be possible consequences that come with your actions. But at the same time, I think there has to be a partnership. There has and I heard Booger McFarland talking about it this morning on Mike and Mike, and he basically said, look, I mean if the players are going to stand, the owners are going to have to bring that, bring it back to. They're going to have to reach out across the aisle on their sincerely, side. And, and not sincerely, just bankroll your cause and your community, and be able to handle the pressure that clean up in the hood and handle no, no, the no. pressures that's going <laughs> yeah. to that, that's going to come their way, right? Because they've reached out all right. the branches. So but if this is about this reform and taking on the system. Exactly, you're going to make enemies in that you system. Are. You can't yep. be friends with that in that system at the same time. What you're saying, Josina, mm-hmm. is don't take that whole ownership thing too literal. Right. Don't yes. take that ownership thing too literal because yes. if you really want to uprising and in a revolt challenge their manhood yeah challenge their humanity and, and can i just add this to clean this up real quick yeah. we were talking about oh you know jerry jones once you start affecting my bottom line that's when we have a problem but i think we do need to clean this up there is a diverse uh, set of people that have buying power and impact with their dollar who aren't watching because of Absolutely. colin kaepernick and not being in the league back into 100%. it if you're addressing it correctly too 100 percent. the right. goal is to agitate disrupt and inconvenience so even though they want to move past this maybe this is right where it needs yeah. to be which people actually being affected so we'll see how this whole thing plays out thank you guys today the united states steps in on the verge of what would be their eighth straight World Cup driven across towards the penalty spot. Tips up and in. And Trinidad and Tobago in front. What are we doing? Long distance blast. And it's Alvin Jones. One for the legend books. What are we doing? It's over. Trinidad has dethroned the United States, knocking them out of the World Cup 2018. We can't beat Trinidad on a field that's too wet and too heavy. What are we doing? What are we doing? I ask myself that question every day. Are you okay, man? I'm all right. Same suit, by the way. Did you sleep? Same suit. 90 minutes on a couch. Bro, you've been on every show. And I'm not exaggerating today. I mean, so since you, a little figures you wanted a little more FaceTime, so like, come on back. We were talking about that 93% chance right here at this time yesterday. We jinxed it. We were like 7% chance. Come so, on. So uh, Sunil Gulati, he told the New York Times that it's a huge disappointment for everybody. That's, a, that's an understatement, right? That the players, yep. the staff, the coaches, the federation. He said it's not good enough. So you, uh, you've been blowing it up today. A lot of people think that U.S. soccer needs to blow it up and make sweeping changes. Bruce Arena said that that would be foolish. 
how much blame falls on the coaching in particular here? Well, I, I'm going to try to do this in about 30 seconds, Michael. But the reality of the situation is this, is that for the first time, the United States men's national team lost five games since the last World Cup in a World Cup qualifying cycle. That was with two coaches. It's not the same coach. Okay. I think systematically, there's an issue with coaching in our country. I'm not saying just with the men's team, but just in general with the youth. Mm-hmm. Look at Iceland. They have 329,000 Same people. as Corpus Christi, Texas? Yes, same as Corpus Christi, right. which, by the way, right. I, I've now got a statue going right. up. There. But 329,000, Michael, and 780 of them are more qualified than any coach we have in this country. So we don't have enough quality coaches in our country at the youth level. The other aspect is... The players have to take ownership. And I'm going to show you a clip from last night okay. because it, it, you you were on the verge of qualifying for the World Cup. You're down 1-0 on the road. Where's the urgency? Where's the pace? The back four from the United States walking, walking on the road. Mind you, look at the score button. Michael, what's the score say? I can't see it very one well. Nil. You're down 1-0. Where's the pressure? Yeah. Now, granted, this is one of the best goals this guy will ever score in his life. But the United States, no urgency, nothing whatsoever. That in itself, as an ex-player, you're looking at it saying you're going to have nightmares the rest of your life because you didn't show up. All right, so you keep stressing our country, our country, our country. Is this just what it is in the United States when it comes to the popularity or lack thereof when it comes to this being a marquee professional sport? That is the ultimate question because We've how been many that for a while? A we? long time. How often have you been around saying soccer's on the verge? Soccer's on the verge. Mm-hmm. Well, when is the verge coming? It should be here. But when you look at it, how many of the players on that team, Michael, are going to show up in the United States over the next 72 hours and go to the grocery store, the movie theater, dinner with their significant others, and have pressure on them? None. There's mm. no accountability. They're going to walk around and say, hey, get them next time. So that's why I could walk. Yes. yes, but part of the issue, too, is in American sports, we reward mediocrity. The New York Giants, 0-5, all we're talking about is, guess what, number one pick, get them next year. In my sport, it's the exact opposite. You win, you get money. If you lose, you're gone. That's where the accountability and the pressure's got to change. Dude, you've been anything but mediocre today. <laughs> How many Red Bulls you had? Been living None. at Starbucks? No, I'm on the other way. If you, I have one are right you now, done? I'm going Are you back. done? Nope. Nope. You got more, more TV? Yeah. Golly, man. I saved my, oh, by the way, that's What's my it? only clip I use for your show. Appreciate you saving it. Joel B just got paid. He got his bread. Now he gets to eat tonight, making his preseason debut against the Nets. Also alongside the new betting favorite for Rookie of the Year, Ben Simmons. Thank goodness that is not blacked out locally, which I think it was. Almost a league pass game. I said the Rookie of the Year, all-rookie team or a challenger, Kyle Kuzma for the Lakers, dropping 18 against the Jazz last night. Trevor Booker of the aforementioned Nets tweeted that he's going to be better than Lonzo Ball just putting it out there. I'm just saying that when this trade first went down, I said the Nets got fleeced. Some thought I spoke too soon. That 27 pick, that was part of that trade. Thank you for spending part of your evening with us. That's it for the six. Sports Center continues on ESPN2. Stick around for Celtics Hornets. And if you choose to join us tomorrow, so will Offensive Player of the Week in the AFC, Melvin Gordon. Take it easy.